First Thessalonians chapter 3. Here's where we're going tonight. I'm, I'm going to read the chapter in just a moment so we get the flow because it's only 12 verses, 13 verses. But here's the heart of this chapter tonight that we're going to be looking at. Paul, Silas, and Timothy founded the church at Thessalonica. And the church was facing a lot of heat, a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution, a lot of adversity. And the founders of the church were just so concerned, would these young Christians, would this new up-and-coming church that's been such an example up to this point, would they hang in there? Would they continue to trust God and believe in God in spite of all the stuff that is being thrown at them? So right in the middle of this wonderful letter that deals with other things, Paul really zeroes in on that fact. In fact, as we read this chapter, you will note that this whole idea of holding on to your faith, of being firm in your faith, of being steadfast, of being tenacious in spite of all the the adversity and the opposition and everything that's going on, that that's what this is all about tonight. And so I would hope that this chapter would be an encouragement to all of us here That if we're not right now in our lives going through some kind of trial adversity, we would ask God to direct us into the lives of those who are so we can be an encouragement to them. And if we are going through trials and adversity right now in our lives, and we're about ready to run the white flag up the flagpole and say, I give, that hopefully tonight's chapter will be an encouragement to you, and that even tonight God may begin to, to flood the right people into your life to be an encouragement and refreshment to you. Because remember, the whole book of 1 Thessalonians is about living our life for God at a higher volume. That's taken from the very first chapter where Paul says that your faith, the Thessalonians, has echoed forth. And those words echoed forth were used in that culture to speak of a loud musical, you know, sound, uh, a, a throng of people who are just loud, and and just any kind of really loud voice. And so that's where we're taking this whole theme of living life for God at a higher volume. With that said, please follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So when we could bear it no longer, we decided to stay on in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you And encourage you about your faith. So that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For in fact when we were with you we were telling you in advance that we would suffer affliction. And so it has happened as you well know. So when I could bear it no longer I sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter somehow tempted you and our toil had proven useless. But now Timothy has come to us from you and given us the good news of your faith and love and that you always think of us with affection and long to see us just as we long to see you. So in all our distress and affliction, we were reassured about you, brothers and sisters, through your faith. For now we are alive again if you stand firm in the Lord. For how can we thank God enough for you 
for all the joy we feel because of you before our God. We pray earnestly, night and day, to see you in person and to make up what may be lacking in your faith. Now may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we do for you. So that your hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice Paul starts out in chapter 3, verse 1, reminding us of the concern that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had over the spiritual condition of the Thessalonians. He says, when we could no longer bear it, we had to find out how you were doing. And it just reminds me how important it is that we have people in our lives who care enough about us to be concerned about our spiritual condition. A lot of times as Christians, we're really good at keeping up with all of our physical ailments and praying for each other for our physical needs and nothing wrong with that. But we need people in our lives who won't only just pray and be concerned about our physical needs and our emotional needs, but our spiritual needs. Because I guarantee you that if we are spiritually strong, that we will be able to weather the physical and emotional storms of life much better out of a position of spiritual strength and spiritual weakness. And we need people in our lives who will be concerned about our spiritual condition as much as Paul and Silas and Timothy were concerned about the Thessalonians. And it's good that we have people in our lives that we care enough about that we are concerned about their spiritual condition as well. Notice in verse 1, the weight of their concern motivated them to act. When they could bear it no longer, they finally sent Timothy. Remember last week we talked about the fact that that there was much time where Paul, Silas, and Timothy wanted to come and they were being thwarted by Satan and they were being prevented from coming. And we're going to talk about why that is in a minute, but it finally got to the point where the, the need to know how the Thessalonians were doing outweighed what was going on with the apostles of Christ. And so they sent Timothy. Now, folks, nowhere does God expect us to carry the weight, if you will, of all the needs that we see around us. But one of the things that we can take also from 1 Thessalonians 3.1 is there may be times where God does not allow us to rest, if you will, because he's laying a, a, a concern about someone else, another brother or sister in Christ or someone else out there that, that really could use some encouragement and someone to come alongside of them and help them. And that finally the weight of all that motivates us to action. Because I tell Christians all the time, one of the reasons and, and ways that you will be able to discern whether this is, is from God or not is that God won't let it go if it's from Him. That, that there's times where we, we maybe feel like we should do something or whatever and, and eventually that, that feeling, that motivation goes out. If God's Spirit is urging you to do something, then usually He won't let us rest until we motivate to action and we actually get up and do something about it. That we put into action what God's Spirit is doing inside of us. And that's exactly what you see here in chapter 3, verse 1. There had to be another way. You see, the reason why they were being thwarted, we don't know exactly, I should say, why the reason, but 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy wanted to go back to Thessalonica together as a group. And one of the reasons was because travel back then was very dangerous. So when people traveled, and especially traveled long distances, they wanted to do it in a group. They sort of were able to look out for each other and protect each other. And because it was such a long, arduous journey, we don't know whether Paul and Silas just didn't feel health-wise up to the journey or whatever it was, but finally it got to the point, again, where the concern over the condition of the Thessalonians outweighed the fact that all of them had to go. So finally it came down to Timothy, the youngest one, the one who maybe more easily could make the journey, and yet, because he was going to make that journey by himself, there was some danger there too. But finally, they all three agreed, better for Timothy to go even by himself than for us not to go at all. We've got to find out how these folks are doing. So then in chapter 3, verse 2, we sent Timothy. And I, I had to ask myself at that point, if I could not fulfill an important assignment... Who is it in my life that I would trust to send in my place? Because that's exactly what Paul and Silas were doing here. They so wanted to go and be part of that team, going back to Thessalonica to find out how things were doing in the face of adversity. But they couldn't make it. So the next best thing was at least they could send one of the members of their delegation back, Timothy. And they trusted Timothy enough to represent them well and to do what needed to be done in Thessalonica. All of us need people in our lives that we can trust, that we can entrust things to, that we can count on to maybe even represent us when we cannot follow through with it. And that's important. Hopefully we're those type of people in other people's lives, that we are living life with Christ to such a level that others can count on us to represent them or that they can entrust us to manage something for them or or entrust even us to, to help them spiritually or whatever. We all need to be that and allow others to be that for us as well. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice in verse 2 that Timothy's primary mission when he got back to Thessalonica was to get these believers grounded or rooted in their faith while the winds of adversity continued to blow in their lives. He says, We sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you about your faith. Because that's where it was all going to take place, right there, on the battlefield of faith. Folks, that's where it takes place in our lives. I mean, this is where the Bible is so practical even for us thousands of years later. Because folks, when the winds of adversity are blowing in our lives and things are pretty rough, it's going to be a test of our faith. And the most important thing that we can do is to have our faith strengthened. And to have others come into our life to encourage us in our faith. Notice it wasn't in anything else. It was in our faith. Because if our faith remains strong, then we can get through any kind of storm that we're going to face in life. And let's just for a moment talk about this faith that is so important. 
we can't overestimate the importance of faith. I mean, when you read a verse like Hebrews eleven six, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's pretty important. And, and, and let's remember something about faith. Throughout the history of the church, this whole concept of faith has, has transitioned more from focusing on God, the object of our faith, to focusing on our faith. And that's not where it's at. Remember, Jesus said, it's not the amount of faith that we have, it's the quality of our faith, and it's the object that our faith is in. Because Jesus said, you and I could have faith the size of a mustard seed. That's pretty small. But we could say to mountains, move, and they will be moved. Not literally, but he's just simply saying that whatever obstacles or opposition is in our way, that through faith, through the power of faith, we can move those obstacles rather than being defeated by those obstacles and opposition in our way. And it all goes back to faith. But again, I I want us to be reminded it is the object of our faith, God himself, that is the key to this whole concept of faith and keeping it strong. Because when it comes right down to it, here's where our faith is shaken. Is God truly good? Does God really have my best interest at heart? Uh, Has God abandoned me and does he care? Uh, Can he be trusted? Can I put my confidence in him? And that's where the battlefield of our lives almost every day and every week takes place. That there's that battle between the character of God and then our circumstances of life. And somehow because our circumstances are bad, we can begin to have our faith shaken in who God is, how big he is. Can he take away this problem? Can he bring me through this problem? Can he use this problem in my life? What's this all about? And that's where it is. That's why Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage their faith. And there's not a one of us in this room that every week, in fact, every day could not use a strengthening of our faith. And I'm just going to tell you from my perspective, I believe one of the best ways that you and I as Christians can strengthen our faith is to keep getting into the Word of God, the Bible. Because in the Bible is where we get God and a picture of God and the character of God and who God is. And we continually are reminded about the greatness of God and the goodness of God. So that if a problem comes into my life this big, I know that the Bible tells me that God's way bigger than that. And there is no problem that's ever going to come into my life that God is not big enough to be able to help me to handle. And then the Bible teaches me about the goodness of God. The absolute goodness of God. That he always has my best interest at heart. But in life, we can go through circumstances where our faith begins to shake and we begin to doubt in the goodness and the character of God. And we all need our faith continually strengthened and encouraged. And that's what Timothy was going to do. In fact, keep your finger there in First Thessalonians. I just thought of a passage I want to take you to. Go back to Luke. The Gospel of Luke. I don't do this as much as I used to. I used to have the miners flip like 50 times on a Tuesday night. Their fingers would get tired. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. 
One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now a violent windstorm came down on the lake and the boat started filling up with water and they were in danger. They came and woke him and said, Master, Master, we are about to die. So he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They died down and it was calm. Then he said to them, Where is your faith? But they were afraid and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. See, Jesus said, Where's your faith? Notice back in verse 22, it was his idea to go to the other side of the lake. So in his mind, God is saying to them, look, you may face some storms along the way to the other side. But if I'm telling you as God that you're going to get to the other side, then you don't have to doubt that. I will get you to the other side, even if it's through the darkest days of your life. Even if if it's through the most violent storm you've ever went through, I'm going to get you to the other side because I promised you I would. But like the disciples, we know this is where God's taking us. We know this is the plan that he has for us. But then the storms of life come up. And like the disciple, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and remembering what his promises are and how big and how good he is, we begin to look around at the waves and the storms and the dark clouds and we begin to doubt in the character and the goodness and the greatness of God. You see, this theme of struggling with our faith is something we all struggle with. There's not a one of us that throughout life does not struggle in this area. And that's why it was so important for the disciples to get somebody back there to Thessalonica to find out how they were doing and to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. I hope you have some folks in your life that are continually strengthening and encouraging you in your faith to keep trusting, keep believing. That you're doing things in your life, whether it's through your daily devotions or whatever, coming to the mind or whatever, where your concept of God continues to grow and get bigger and, and greater and grander so that you understand, the more you understand the Bible, the more you believe you can trust God. The, the more you believe he, he is who he really says he is, and the more you and I will trust him rather than doubt him. In fact, I'm going to take you to somewhere else. Let's see. Psalm 146. Sorry, all these just different passages just start firing in my head. And Psalm 146 is a great psalm that reminds us and encourages us to trust in God and not put our trust in ourselves or in anyone else. That, That we've just got to trust God alone or else we're going to be disappointed. Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God as long as I exist. Now notice, verse 3 and 4. Do not trust in princes or in human beings who cannot deliver. Their life's breath departs. They return to the ground. On that day, their plans die. How blessed is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob, 
whose hope is in the Lord is God, the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who remains forever faithful, vindicates the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord releases the imprisoned. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up all who are bent over. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects those residing outside their native land. He lifts up the fatherless and the widow, but he opposes the wicked. The Lord rules forever. Your God, O Zion, throughout generations to come. Praise the Lord. God reigns. And it is this God, you see, that is the focus of our faith. This is where when you and I get our faith strengthened, it is strengthened through our concept of God getting bigger or stronger. Well, back to 1 Thessalonians 3, or we're never going to get through. While in the middle of their trials, verse 3, they obviously, like us, were more vulnerable. So that's why Paul writes, so that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. Because obviously when, you, when things aren't going well is when we are most vulnerable. It is where our faith can be shaken. When things are going well, yeah, I love God, God's great, God's good, whatever. And when things begin to turn and twist in our life, all of a sudden it's like, I don't think God loves me. I don't think God likes and, and It's normal. It's natural. It's something we all struggle with. Where is God? If God loves me, how comes he's not helping? I mean, we go through the whole thing. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that a believer in Jesus Christ is to learn to walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Because like the disciples in the boat, Jesus, we're going to die. We're going to die. Because they were walking by sight, not by faith in what God said. And the Bible promises us that there's going to be times in our life where the circumstances of our life where what is swirling around us is going to look to us like God is not in control, that God does not reign, that God does not care, that God does not have our best interests at heart. And that's where the battle of faith takes place, right there. That's why it was so important that they found out how the Thessalonians was doing. Because it is at that point that I can turn away from God and I can say, Sorry, God, if this is the way it is, then I don't want to keep following you. That's why it's so important that we strengthen and encourage people in their faith and that we come alongside of them when they are most vulnerable. You see, they needed to be reminded, verse 3, that they were going to suffer and yet they could endure it. The Bible promises that all of us are going to enter the kingdom of God through many trials and tribulations. The Bible's message is not that once we accept Christ, our life is just... It never promises us that. In fact, notice at the end of verse 3, he says, We are destined for this. That suffering and trial and adversity is actually woven into the fabric of our lives as part of the plan of God. So if I, as a follower of Christ, start to freak out and get all upset when something bad happens to me, somehow my expectations of what I think life on earth before heaven is, is totally out of sync with what the Bible teaches. 
Because the Bible teaches that we will, in this life, on this side of heaven, in this world that is affected and cursed by sin, we will suffer. And I'm just going to tell you, because I get the question all the time, well, if God is in control and he loves and he cares, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Because God designed this world to operate before he ever started building it on free will. He decided to give human beings a free moral choice. And 90% of the suffering and pain that you and I as human beings go through on this earth is because of the bad choices, the bad decisions that other people or we ourselves make. That's why there's so much pain and suffering. That's why. I mean, right now, let's just take what the headline in the world is right now. The whole turmoil in Iran and the elections and everything. Why is that country now totally turned upside down and going through almost a civil war? Because of the decisions of people. That's why. And God said, look, if the world was such a great place, then what would it be to look forward to heaven? If if, if the earth was this great place where it's like, Oh, yeah, I just love... I never want to go to heaven, God, because it's so nice and good down here. No, you, you see, the whole idea is that though, even in the midst of all this yuck down here, I can find God, I can live for God, I can know God, I can face my trials and adversity and actually get stronger because of it. God can use my life to touch other people's lives. And even in the midst of all this, God can be glorified We can be changed. Other people can be changed. And then when we get to heaven where there is no more sin and no more evil and all of that, then we can really party when we get up there. And let's not forget, too, that Christ's sufferings himself is the paradigm for this. Because he said, If I'm going to suffer, my followers are going to suffer. And and just looking at the life of Christ, why do we think somehow that we're going to go through our earthly life and not suffer even though the Son of God suffered? Jesus said, if I suffered, all of those who follow me will suffer as well. And that's what Paul's reminding them of. In fact, in verse 4, he says, For in fact, even when we were with you, we were telling you in advance. We predicted beforehand that you would suffer. So hopefully you've not gotten to a point where now that because you're suffering, your faith is starting to shake because your expectations were not based upon the Word of God. That somehow they were these expectations cooked up in our own mind that when we accept Christ, everything's going to go smoothly in our lives. Paul says, I hope it, because actually knowing that this was predicted ahead of time should validate their experience. This should encourage them, that God predicted this was going to happen to them. So when they go through it, it's like, you know what? God knows this. God's got everything under control. None of this that happened in my life has taken God by surprise. God's not up there in, in, on his throne wringing his hands going, oh, what am I gonna, how am I going to figure that out? What am I going to do? God reigns. And God is in control. And God has told us beforehand, this is the way life will be on this earth. 
But the cool thing is, God throughout all this says, but you and I can endure it all. You and I can face it all. You and I can even get stronger because of it all if we don't give up on our faith. Verse 5, were they committed to Christ in the midst of their suffering? See, Satan's activity is timely. He knows when we're vulnerable too. That's why he'll come along at the most vulnerable times in our life and tempt us to our faith. That's inevitable. But even though these temptations by Satan are inevitable, they are also resistible. Notice verse 5. So when I could bear it no longer, I set, sent to find out about your faith, again, for fear that the tempter somehow tempted you and our toil had proven useless. You see, the possibility of them falling away was a clear and present danger. Would the pressures that they were going through lead them to defect from their faith in Christ? Verse 6. This letter then obviously was penned right after Timothy got back to Paul and Silas and told them the good news. And it was evident, verse 6, that they had not yielded to the tempter, but had tenaciously held to the faith. And that was an encouragement to Paul, to Silas, and to Timothy. Hey, one other thing in verse 6, which sort of goes along with the message Sunday about finding the right people for your life. Notice that reciprocity characterizes true friendship. It goes both ways. Notice in verse 6 that you always think of us with affection and long to see us just as we also long to see you. The best relationships, the best friendships is when it's both giving and taking. Reciprocity. A one-way relationship where one person's doing it all, not good, not right, not going not gonna to last. It takes both. And that's what you see here in verse 6 between Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Thessalonians. Verse 7, in the midst of all their adversity, the apostles were encouraged about them because they were going through distress and affliction too, verse 7. Yet... The reason they were encouraged was because of the faith of the Thessalonians. Verse 8. Notice that Paul and his companions, when they got the good news about how well the Thessalonians were holding up under such adversity, Paul says it was like a resurrection for him spiritually. He says, now we are alive again. If you stand firm in the Lord. And and that just simply means he knows they're standing firm now, but his desire and hope is that their stability and steadfastness would continue. Because there was no guarantee when would this adversity end? When would these dark days end? When would these storms end? He didn't know. But he just hoped and prayed that they would again hold tenaciously to their belief in God, in his greatness and in his goodness. Verse 9, this is the third thanksgiving to God so far in this letter, and we haven't even gotten through chapter 3 yet. And notice in verse 9, God himself was active within their lives to produce this kind of spiritual tenacity in the midst of so much opposition. It, It was God who was doing the work in them. And notice in verse 9, Paul could not f- 
find an adequate way to thank God because his joy was so great. It's like he couldn't come up with with the words that he wanted to to thank God for the work that he was doing in the Thessalonians because the only way the Thessalonians were remaining faithful was because they were open to what God wanted to do in their lives. And notice verse 9, Christians who remain faithful are a source of joy. When you and I look around and see other Christians standing up for Christ, that should be a source of joy. When other people see us standing true to Christ and remaining faithful, even in the dark days of our life, that's a source of joy for them. Verse 10, what was the thing, the action that the apostles took when they confronted obstacles? Prayer. When you and I face obstacles and adversity, a lot of times the first thing we do is grumble and complain. The first thing the apostles do is take it to God in prayer. And in verse 10, we pray earnestly night and day to see you in person and to make up what may be lacking in your faith. You see, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not about to give up in the face of the obstacles Satan had thrown in their way. And Paul wanted the opportunity once again to be an instrument for spiritual growth in their lives. Because all of us, it doesn't matter how long we've walked with God, how committed our walk is, there's always something, verse 10, lacking in our faith. There's always a deficiency somewhere that can be strengthened. In fact, over in chapter 4 next week, beginning in verse 13, when we talk about the rapture of the church, and I hope you'll come back next week for that one. I was dancing in my office today thinking about that one. But that's where they were deficient. Their understanding of death and the death of Christians and how does the death of Christians play into the return of the Lord and, and are, are, are they going to miss something and are we going to miss something if we're still alive? And all, They didn't have that quite that understanding. So Paul in chapter 4 verse 13 was writing this so that they would not be ignorant and so that they would not be deficient in their understanding of the rapture and all the events that surround the rapture and how the death of a Christian fits in there and all of that. He wanted them to have that total understanding so that they could have a greater assurance and encouragement and hope. All of us need to keep growing. All of us need to keep learning. That's what I so appreciate about you folks on Tuesday night. You are part of a group of people here at Cornerstone who just are hungry to keep growing and understanding the Bible better and whatever. And there, there can be no greater to me uh, attitude in a, in a Christian's heart than that attitude. I, I want to learn more. I want to grow more. I want to understand more. And that's what Paul was coming and wanting to come to Thessalonica for as well. Verse 11, their prayer specifically was that God would remove the obstacles that Satan had put in their way so that they could be reunited with the Thessalonians. And in a sense, he's saying, God, I want you to counterpunch Satan's original punch. Satan's original punch was, I'm going to put up every roadblock, every obstacle, every opposition so that the founders of the church at Thessalonica cannot be reunited with the people in Thessalonica so that they can mutually encourage each other. I'm going to try to keep them apart because I know the longer I keep them apart, that maybe the longer I keep them apart, maybe they'll start to 
their faith will start to wane. But if they get together, man, they're just going to strengthen and encourage each other, and then I've lost my opportunity. So Paul is basically saying, okay, Satan's got in a good punch. He's prevented us so far. But God, you do the counterpunch. Remove those obstacles, God, and let us go back to Thessalonica. Verse 12, their further desire was that the love of the believers would continually be increasing and that this love was to simply be an overflow of the love of God that was continually streaming into their lives. See, God always wants us to keep loving more and more. You and I as Christians never get to the point where God is going to say to us, okay, Jeff, you've loved them enough now. You don't have to love them anymore. It's never going to happen because the capacity to love others is always greater than what we have been loved or loved anyone up to this point. Think about that because there's probably some people in our lives up to this point that it's been pretty good from a human standpoint. I do feel loved by them. I, I do love them and and it's, it's pretty good. You mean it could even be better? Yeah. The more we open up to the love of God overflowing in our lives, the greater capacity we have to love others. And God truly wants it to be an overflow of his love. Because that's the only way we're really going to give up our lives and truly lay down our lives for others and truly love them as Christ loves, is when we just let God's love and the reality of God's love and just understanding how much God loves me flow into my life. Because there's a lot of Christians. The reason why it's difficult and challenging for them to love others, even as Christians, is because they haven't gotten to the point in their walk with God where they truly comprehend how much God loves them. And until we grab a hold of how much God loves us and begin to understand the breadth, the depth, the height, and the depth of God's love for us, we will never truly even be able to begin to love others the way God wants it to. The first thing is for us to grab a hold of how much God loves us. And again, I take you back. The best way we can do that, keep reading that. Because every page of this book is going to scream and cry out to you how much God loves you. And we all need to be reminded of that so that we can be free to love others as well this love even in the community of the church in thessalonica was also to be a counterpunch because of the rejection that they faced from family and friends because they had chosen to follow christ see many of these folks in thessalonica part of the adversity and the opposition and the obstacles they were facing is when they said yes to christ Their family and friends said no to them. And all of a sudden it's like, thanks God. I I chose to follow you and give my life to you. And now all of my friends and my family have turned their back on me. Thanks a lot. And God wanted the church to be able to wrap their arms around these people. And in a sense to counterpunch the punch that Satan was going to try to leverage in that. Saying, see... See how much God loves you? You accepted Christ and now everybody turned their back on you. Boy, that's a, that's a really great life, right? And so Paul is saying, boy, the church needs to be so full of love. Because many of us who come into a church 
have already felt the sting of rejection out there from family and friends. The last place we need to feel further rejection is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is to love as Christ loves. And didn't Jesus himself say by this, all men will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you have for each other? None of us should ever feel rejected in a group of Christians, but it happens. And that's why Paul is saying what he's saying to the Thessalonians in verse 12. That may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we do for you. Before we wrap this up tonight, I I do want to further this point about God being the great counterpuncher. You see this throughout the Bible. that, That every time Satan may get a blow in that's that God comes back and counterpunches it. You know, God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Yay, God, right? First punch, God gets in. Satan counterpunches. Moves Pharaoh to go and follow the Israelites. And there they are. Here's their faith. They're now at the edge of the Red Sea. And what do they do? They start griping to Moses. Has God delivered us from Egypt and now brought us out here so that Pharaoh and his army can slaughter us out here in the desert? You see, all they could see was the army of Pharaoh and the Red Sea. And God wanted his people, like he wants us, to believe in him, even when everything around us looks like it doesn't look good. But that's when God wants us to have enough faith in him that with him all things are possible. And oh, by the way, if I need to part a sea to get my people safely across, that's what I'll do. And so God counterpunched. But I think the greatest example of that punch-counterpunch was the day that Jesus hung on the cross. I don't know about you, but I, I just I really do believe because he's so deluded that Satan and the demons were down there going, He's dead. He's dead. God is the Lord is dead. And three days later, boy, did God counterpunch. When Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, rose up from the dead and said, Oh no, Satan. You're not going to have the last word. Death isn't going to have the last word. The Lord Jesus, God is the one who has the last word. Always has, always will. And in your life, my friends, Satan will punch you. He will kick you. The world will punch you and kick you. But you have got to understand, and I have got to come to understand in my life, that the counterpunch of God, that whatever God has coming alongside is for our best interest. And it's always going to counter whatever Satan or the world or our own flesh is trying to do against us as we walk through this world with God. Don't give up. God can reverse and counterpunch better than anyone else in the universe. He's been doing it since he created human beings. Verse 13. Paul's prayer now concludes with his gaze fixed on the future when the church will be in the presence of God. And his concern is that they would end as well as they have begun. 
so that your hearts are strengthened in holiness. Don't miss that. We've talked about how we've got to remain strong. How do I remain strong, Lord, in the midst of adversity? By being obedient. By trusting. By living a pure and holy and separated and distinctive life from the rest of the world that knows not God. That's how I'm strengthened. I'm strengthened, notice, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 3. I'm strengthened in holiness. The best thing that you and I can do to put ourselves in a position of strength in life, to face whatever life is going to bring, is to continue to just walk with God and be obedient to God and do what God is asking us to do. Because the minute you and I disobey, start walking away from God, start getting involved in sin and all of this, we are going to be weakened And we are even going to be more vulnerable because then when the winds of adversity come and we are not spiritually strong, then we're not going to be in a position to be able to stand against those winds of adversity because we are in a position of spiritual weakness rather than strength. We need to remain strong and we need to finish as well as we've begun. But notice as Paul ends this chapter 2, He's also reminding them about this great reunion that's going to take place when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, he's coming with all his saints. He's not coming with just a few. They're all coming. Because remember one of the principles of Bible interpretation? All means all, and that's all all means. And when the Bible says that Jesus is coming with all his saints, he's coming with all all of them. I can only imagine what that reunion is going to be like. We're going to talk more about that next week, by the way, in chapter 4. And so Paul wants to leave them with a reminder of their coming king. Because after all that he's tried to do to encourage them by sending Timothy and praying for them and everything else, another thing that Paul feels like he can leave with them and have in their forefront of their mind that may carry them through the darkest days of their life is remembering, this is the only hell I'll ever know. That my Lord is coming, that I am destined for glory, and that God's going to give me whatever I need to be able to make it through this life and get to that life where I will live and rule and reign with Christ forever and ever, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Folks, you and I are destined to reign. We are destined for glory. And on those very dark, dismal, cloudy days of our life, we can never forget as Christians, we are called as the children of God to be princes and princesses of God. And one day we will rule and reign with Christ. Don't forget that no matter how much their life beats you up. In fact, I've got five minutes, so hang in there. I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll close with this tonight. This is a passage that I'd normally read at all the memorial services that I ever have done. And I'm doing another one here at Cornerstone on Saturday. And uh, I'll be reading this passage at that memorial service as well. And this man who passed away is a believer, 
So we're going to see him again one day and spend all of eternity. But I want to I share this passage because this passage then is going to tie into what we're going to talk about next week again with the coming of the Lord and how it should be an encouragement to us. Not just some pie in the sky, by and by, oh yeah, one day it's going to be better type of thing. But the Bible tells us that that fact, that promise, that truth that we should have our faith and hope in is something that should actually motivate our Christian life right here and now. Look how it ties together. Because in the first several verses we're going to read, it's all about what's going to happen. Then in the very last verse we read, the very last verse of chapter 15, it's all about how does this make a practical impact upon my life for Christ right here and now. Begin with me in 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 50. Paul says, now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then this saying that is written will happen, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. So everything up to this point, Christians, here's how this should affect us here and now. Not to go out to some mountain and just hum and wait for Jesus to come. No, here's what we should be doing in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. That's exactly the message of 1 Thessalonians 3. They were going to face adversity. You and I are going to face adversity. But because Jesus Christ is coming one day and rescuing us from this earth, rescuing us from this body that gets sick and that gets diseased and that will die one day, that because we are destined for glory, that we should be firm and not be moved and be strong in our faith, always trusting in God. Notice also, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. That Christians who truly believe that Jesus is coming and heaven is real should be serving Christ like no one else. Because we're not just serving to, to get there. We're saved by grace. But I believe that we serve because we truly get it. We truly understand what it's all about and what this life is all about and what we should be focusing this life on. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, Paul's saying that there's never going to be that time where I've lived my life for Christ, I get to heaven and go, this is it? It's all you got, God? Wow, I'm disappointed. No, as I've said, and and I say this to myself in my own life, when I get to heaven, when I see the glory of my God, when I can put my own 
glorified eyeballs on the hands that have the nail prints, when I can see the scar of the spear in the side of my Savior, when I can stand before Him and get a hug from God, when I can see the saints of all time, of all the ages, when I hear the choirs and the music of heaven just rattling the universe, there will not be a muscle or bone in that glorified body that will regret that I lived my life for Christ. I will say, God, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have lived for you more. I wish I'd have told more people about Jesus. I wish I'd have studied my Bible more. We will not live in vain, folks, if we live for Christ. Every minute you and I live for Christ will be a day and an eternity of rejoicing when we get to heaven, folks. Hang in there. God, I pray tonight that we would remain firm in our faith and that, God, we would be concerned enough about others who are being shaken by their afflictions and maybe allowing the tempter to tempt them when they're at their most vulnerable place, that somehow, some way, you would allow us the opportunity to come alongside them and somehow encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. To help them to keep trusting and keep believing in spite of what they're seeing all around them. Because God, we get it. That throughout life, many times, life looks like you don't care. That, that you don't reign. That there is nothing true of what the Bible says. But God, we have been reminded again tonight that's where the battle takes place. For all of us, it's at those moments in our life when we are most vulnerable that we can begin to turn from our faith and stop believing in your greatness, in your goodness, in your plan for us and the fact that you have our best interest at heart. God, just help us. Maybe our response tonight as minors needs to be what the disciples said. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe that's where it is. God, I just pray in some way that you would bless these folks. God, they are such an encouragement to me every week. And I pray that as they leave this place tonight, that they're just a little bit energized by you and your spirit tonight. And God, that they're glad they know you. They're glad they have a future in heaven for all of eternity. They're glad they know Jesus is coming back. And God, they're just ready to go out there and charge hell with a bucket of water tonight, God. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. Have a great week. See you next week.